Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. And joining us now, number one with a mullet, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Hey, all right, the Double B, that's right, Bobby Blaze. And it doesn't stand for this week's uh, subject matter. Uh, bombs, bikers, bruiser, bedlam. Mayhem everywhere? I don't know. <laughs> We're just saying. No, I'm glad to be back on the air with you, Professor. It's been a long week, man, a long Good week. God, yeah. Um, anyway, so how are you, man? Um, You know, I kind of feel like I keep getting the fucking air let out of my tires over here. Um, I mean, I'm okay, but I'm okay. getting, getting tired of bad news. How does that yeah. cover it? Yeah. That covers it pretty good. So we we each received some bad news on Tuesday, which we'll speak about in just a moment. Um, but I also had some bad news on Wednesday. And um, I just want to thank the people out there on Twitter world that, uh, that kind of got back to me. Um, I sent a message out. Uh, just said, you know, sending out and asking for po- positive vibes only. Um, where you at, Twitter family? And uh, I just said, sent sent for it sent with a heavy heart for someone i loved uh so i uh will make it sweet and short man um or sad and short however it may be but i won't dwell on it uh yeah so a girl i was with spent several years of my life with um and shared some very intimate moments with and sometimes when i talk about some of these wrestling shows even uh uh, in the 80s, this goes back to the 80s, uh, she was at some of those shows with me, man. And her, um, I already mentioned her name today. Um, it's not Melanie, but um, uh, just someone I shared a past with, and we shared something very special between us. And it's one of those relationships that, um, you know, starts off one way, goes another, got serious, it doesn't get so serious, and just hung out in each other's lives for several years, and then through the years had stayed in touch, up until here recently, actually. Um, But when you share some of the stuff that we had shared together and went through some of the stuff we'd went together, um, man, I just got numb. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, um, she is a part of my family, and I won't go to details as part of that either. Um, just uh my, my love you know and it wasn't max wife and um but uh someone very very close second like that you know what i'm saying yeah um uh, that, that was a whole different a lifetime ago to me now um and le- legitimately a lifetime ago for someone but it's uh, still numbing to hear that news and uh just want to thank the people and, and let y'all know the ones that reached out and i had several people you know have my direct phone I had DMs from people that had my phone number. Uh, of course, people on Twitter was sending DMs. I appreciate that. And I wasn't asking for, you know, thoughts and prayers and likes or going for that. I was just kind of numb. And I just was like, just looking for some positive vibes, man. And I got quite a few back. And that's all it was. Uh, uh, just trying to, you know, chill to be a little bit. And then the next day I wrote, you know, it was just um, added to it that I'm good. And, um, you know, each night, um, I've been a little bit numb, uh, you know, during the day I'm good. I think about it and, uh, let it, let it reflect on a situation, a relationship. And, um, you know, we had grown apart and we actually grew toxic for each other. You know, you, you have so much fun with someone. Sometimes we, um, we ended things because of that. It's like, uh, you know, um, 
just man, we just too too much alike, too hard headed, uh, not wanting the same things, wanting the same things, you know, whatever. But anyway, man, she passed away. Um, she'd have been, I think, fifty six years old, maybe. Um, think her anyway. Just wanted to uh, get that off my chest, man, because we had already received the news of what we're going to go into next just the day before that. But uh, again, just a big thank you to everyone. I'm good. Um, I'm not in any weird place, you know, of like, you know, thinking bad thoughts for myself or anything like that. Um, just It was just numb to know someone you've shared a moment with in your life, was close to, passed away. And also that person, uh, when it's someone your own age, you know, you kind of look at yourself like, ah, oh, geez, man, that's, and I don't know any of the circumstances, nothing like that. Um, I've yet to find out any of the great details. Um, and uh, I have connection to do so. I've just held off one doing so um, for personal and uh, family reasons. So I'm letting them, uh, her family, um, honor uh, yeah. the request to let them have some time to digest them themselves. And uh, I'll be in touch with the people I need to be in touch with uh, probably, you know, starting early, earliest week, I would imagine. Uh, so we'll see. But anyway, thank you all very much. And now that that's out there. Um, so, but yeah, okay. With that, let's move on. We got a, uh, we got a big one. Uh, we got hit. That was on Wednesday. So I'm back up here to Tuesday. Um, I get a text. Um, and I, again, I got a call concerning the other person. I prefer a call when something like that happens. But I got a text that someone told me they had some awful news. And I said, man, are you all right? You want to call? And I won't mention this person just saying. And it's like, well, I'm working. I can't. But here's the news. And um, I waited a few minutes, and I was like, man, I need to call Jeremy on this one here to make sure. And uh, uh, I got word that our friend Nate Bush had passed away in his sleep, and uh, I got that call about 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, and I immediately called Jeremy, not to be a gossip or a rumor hound, but, uh, man, that's one of our friends and friends of the program, and we had gotten tight with Nate over the last couple of years, and, um, I, you know, he's from the wide men can't jump, uh, podcast, but I've known him from, you know, up in the ring at the ASW shows and Nate just always had this, you know, big smile on his face. He had that big beard, good beard and uh, always, you know, talked to just always good to me. He had an old soul too. We were talking one time out back in the building about three years ago and he, he named something, and I said, how did you even know that? And, you know, being a student of the wrestling game, of course he knew it, because he said, excuse me, um, I said, man, that's something like the 70s. And I, I said, I think you're probably, because of the beard that threw me off, I said, you're probably late 20s, early 30s. How do you know that? He goes, well, I'm 28, actually. Thank you. And I was like, okay. Well, he passed away. He was 31. So yeah. I was kind of like, man, that's awful young. I said it was a heart attack. Um, and no laughing matter, but every time Nate and I talked, we, I'd done this podcast, what, two weeks ago, and we were laughing and talking about the chips from up in Canada and Wonder Bars and Big Greasy Cheeseburgers, and um, the last time I spoke with Nate in person was at that show in Beckley, and he was at our table in catering. He was um, um, Sigmund and uh, Casey King and Daz, uh, myself, and a couple more, and that was really the time I got to speak to uh to uh, Nate there at that event because he was so busy. And as you heard on a podcast, I didn't even know it then. Um, 
in addition to some of the other stuff I saw him doing, he revealed to me that he was also running Lawler's gimmick table. And his gimmick table was going nonstop. So I said, dude, you didn't have any time. But he actually spoke to my brother a lot. And my brother had met him in the past a couple of times. But that night, he spoke to my brother and spent time with him more than he did me. And because because of where my brother was seated, was seated at and because of the time situation, you know, I was in the back mostly. And Nate did get to come out front some to the you know announcer's table. And uh, he put my brother over how good a guy he is. And I said, yeah, you just don't even really know. But it's about a half an hour after um, uh, I got that text, I got a call from my brother. said, hey, man, you all right? And I said, I guess you heard about Nate. And he said, yeah. I said, I wouldn't even call you, you know, because my brother, he's a chaplain. And he deals with death all day. I mean, he's a chaplain for hospice, you know? Yeah. And uh so I was like, I wasn't going to bug you with it. I was going to text you later. So he goes, man, no, when something like that comes up and it's the wrestling community, something you and I both love, and it's the person we know, he said, do not hesitate to call me. And um, he had just seen it. I can't remember whose uh, feed on Facebook, um, I guess. Well, it was it was and everywhere was like, within, well, a, within a couple of yeah. hours. Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, like, well, he got to me within a half an hour of me getting a call, you know, the first yeah. text. So, um, and I appreciate the person that sent me the text. They know who they are. And I understand their circumstances of not giving me a phone call. And I spoke to that person in person and I, I thanked them and told them, totally respect you for taking the time to at least let me know. Um, uh, you know, so that's no way a dig of like, ah, oh, you should have called me. No, they did the right thing, what they could, you know. And as we speak, um, they're holding Nate's funeral today on Sunday. So um, just want to let y'all know he was a lo- local radio personality of Logan, West Virginia, all around good guy. Um, you know, uh, just uh, uh, man, uh, I know he had a little boy, uh, Cade. I think I think he's either two. Going on, well, he's going on three. I think I don't think he's quite three yet. But um, anyway, you want to tell him about? Uh, I think Tim. Tim's name never gets mentioned sometimes. Tell him about Mark, Tim yeah. and and what's going on. And Tim, man, if you're listening this week, buddy, we saw you lost your friend. The same thing with you, uh, Tr Shock Tommy. If you're listening, um, you know, hey, well, you, you lost know, a good one there. Nate had another. Tell show. him about Tim though. Yeah, I was going to say Nate had another show called In This Ring that I didn't even know about. Uh, another wrestling podcast that he did, but um, uh, Tim uh, put together a GoFundMe for Cade, yeah. um, and it's at uh, HTTPS, you know, colon slash slash, you know, all that stuff. It is a secure location. GoFundMe dot com, or I'm sorry, GoFund.me slash A A B nine C nine eight seven. So Alpha Alpha. Bravo nine, Charlie nine eight seven. Uh, yeah, they're trying to raise money for Kate. I mean, this poor kid. Uh, Nate was a single father. Yep, and this poor kid just lost his dad. His, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you know what I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back from that for a second. You know, what, that's one okay. Of, you, one of the things. That, I, one of the things that used to crack me up is I'd get a call from Nate. You know, well, I get a text yeah. first. Hey, you got a minute? Yeah. yeah, he always texts yeah. you first. I like that. Yeah. Hey, brother, what are you doing? <laughs> Got a minute? And, you know, and then the yeah. call would be, hey, um, I'm sick of my podcast host. What do you think of, you know, Anchor FM? And we'd talk. And it always turned into like a three-hour conversation, you know. Um, he'd, he'd hit me up all the time. Like, hey, you got to check this band out. Oh, you got to check this band out, you know. 
So uh, anytime I got a message from Nate, it was usually something cool to check out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was never, never anything, you know, shitty. I, I bet you, you would have to, it would probably be as hard to find somebody who has something bad to say about Nate as it would be to find somebody who has something bad to say about Bobby Eaton. Yeah. And that's the thing. Nate would send you a taste. Hey, he'd just say, hey, brother, hey, Bobby, you got a minute? And if I answer that text within a few minutes, you know, not all the time you can get right back yeah. to that text, you know. But uh, many, many times I did. And he goes, you mind if I call? And I'm like, no, you know. And he'd call, and that five-minute conversation would turn into, you know, a 30-minute conversation. And he'd have some idea, run something by me, just want to touch base with me, you know. Um, I, I didn't ever get a call, you know, it's – Blah, blah, blah. It was always he had something on his mind he really wanted to talk to me about. He set up the Dan Severn interview with me, you know, just things like that. Uh, but the only thing we didn't do, um, and that was uh, other we shared catering at that at that show. And, and we had been to uh, sitting on the same table several times at Quaker Steak and Lube up there uh, in Madison or in Charleston, actually, at the Mad- after the Madison shows. But we never got to go and get that big, fat, greasy cheeseburger together that we talked about. We used to rib each other about it. So, uh, um, you know, um, it's just one of those things that we used to rib each other about. We'll share one one day. And um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I did share some meals with them. We just didn't go. To a couple of places, he wanted to show me about what had some good, good cheeseburgers in his region, you know. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, always a good call, man. We're gonna miss you, Nate. Um, Tim, hang in there, man. Um, and again, if you want, uh, I'm gonna be retweeting uh, the uh, go the GoFundMe. I've retweeted a couple of times that I told Tim I would. Um, I have not donated yet, but I plan on it. That's just because I have not looked at my checkbook over the weekend, <laughs> even though um, I told Casey on Thursday I'm going to donate because he had sent me something, and I retweeted it, and I said, yeah, I told him in person. I just got to go and um, make sure my checkbook got some <laughs> money in it. Um, it does. I'm not broke. I'm just saying I wanted to see how much I you know, what kind of donation can I make? Yeah. And um, I will maybe do that this evening, just saying. But uh, I, I encourage everyone else to as well, even if it's a $5 donation, um, every little penny helps, and it's going to a good cause. Uh, his son, Cade, and it's for a um, – uh, trust fund, I guess, for when he gets a bit older in life. And uh, maybe he'll, as he gets older, he'll remember through the years how good of a father he had. And we're going to miss you, Nate. So uh, let's back off of that. And we got one more uh, on this damn, this death sentence, fucking death walk uh, yeah. <laughs> podcast today. No, we're going to, we're going to cheer it up. So I got some funny stories to talk about and stuff like that. Um, but we got one more person that passed away in a wrestling business. Who was that, Jeremy? Well, I got a message from, uh, from a uh, guy, you know, uh, Oh, a fellow named J- Kenny Wynn or something. Uh, <laughs> Kenny Wynn. Good old Kenny, Kenny Wynn. Yeah, he can. Yeah, I can't remember. But, um, he, you know, with the message like, hey, I know you love a great looking belt and hate an ugly belt. Well, here's, you know, here's something for you. And it was Reggie Parks, the king of belts, that passed away this week at the age of 87 years old. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Reggie has designed championship belts for every major and minor promotion. The UFC. Uh, he made one for Madonna. Um, of course, he created the Winged Eagle. 
He uh, started his career as a wrestler, and then apparently someplace he wrestled, I think it was Nebraska, they were using an old broken down trophy or something, and he put together a belt for him, and then he had a whole new career as a belt maker after that point. There you go. And he made a Smoky Mountain belts, the heavyweight title belt that I wore, that as nice well as the two belt. tag team belts. Yeah, it was. And um, I uh, I figured he did, but I wasn't sure. And I listened to the first part of Cornette's podcast this week, and he he explained how he um, got a hold of him and had a couple drawings and had a couple ideas about it, and that those, um, those uh, big fake diamonds – uh, came out of something his mother had at the house, and that's why it went to uh, that he put in the middle of the crown there those diamonds she had had uh, uh, laying around forever. He said and wasn't going to use them, and he had them, you know, uh, and put onto the belt as well. And that's why it has sentimental value value to him, mm-hmm. as it does me. But also the tag belts. He just sent a little sketch of what the place were going to look like, and he described the kind of uh, the gold. Um, he didn't want it to be the shiny. He wanted it to be the a little bit of red, and he said red just, you know, and it was great belts. I saw the tag belts as well back in the day, you know, many times. And so um, had a connection that way. And I'm sure through the years, every one of our wrestling fans has um, at least seen uh, one of his belts, if not many of his belts, either at a TV, on, a, on a TV program that you've watched or at the arena watching the matches because he pretty much all through the 60s and 70s, uh, or I'm sorry, late 60s, but 70s and 80s mostly, he made about all those belts. Uh, so, uh, Oh, yeah. Well, it's what, what a career, man. In the early late 90s, early 2000s, I think, is when people started buying belts as like a hobby or whatever. And the first website I found was Reggie Park's. There you go. You know, I just remember looking. Was that at in a it. magazine or website? I what think was that, uh, that was? I found it through, at that point through a search engine. I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I discovered. Okay. It. You know, and that's yeah, back when you, know, you wanted your own copy of a title belt. It was like eight grand, and it yeah. was going to take you 16 months to see it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, rest in peace, Reggie Parks. Mm-hmm. And uh, well. While we're talking about the web here, let's give out our website, Jeremy. Well, you How know, about give that? Me, give me one second, because I did discover some happy news just now. Okay, what's that? Yesterday was Judo Jean LaBelle's 89th birthday. All right, man. One tough, mean Jean. Uh-huh. Man, holy shit. Yeah, Jean LaBelle. Yep, so he's still out there kicking around. Yeah. And um, he's on our most legitimate tough guys list. I think he came in at number six. And if you heard me say that, he'd probably whip my ass and move up to number one. Um, That's still available, actually, out there on the um, YouTube channel. Uh, The number one um, that we put in there was Ming. That has been deleted, but the other nine are out there. And uh, I think Judo Jean LaBelle came in at five or six. So check that out at um, YouTube. Just type in Bell to Bell Blaze. Uh, podcast on the YouTube channel, and you'll see some really good uh, good footage, actually, of Gene LaBelle. And I think, what's his name? Chuck Norris tells, tells a good Gene LaBelle story as part of um, as part of that um, video. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. Um, uh, you, know. You, know, you know, Gene, a legitimate badass and a pro wrestler. Yeah. His brother Mike ran uh, the L.A. office for, for, well, between his mom and his brother. Yeah, but they'd call Gene when somebody was gonna fuck him on something. They'd call Gene in to straighten the shit out. And yep. um, was it Bear 
Bearcat Wright wasn't going to drop the title, or somebody wasn't going to drop the title. And they yeah, Fred WWI or something. Yeah, and they called Gene in, and the guy's like, all right, fuck it. Here, here just take your belt. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, mail it in. <laughs> yeah. Mail it in. Just, you know, mail that match in. I'm going back. <laughs> See y'all later. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that being all said, right. let's get on to our websites and whatnots. Yeah. Uh, um, so we got a bell to bell blaze.com site. Got a merch store. Jeremy's got that up and running. Uh, you can get the uh, King Bobby Kingslayer Blaze t-shirt on. You can get the pin me, pay me t-shirt on there. You can get uh, books. Uh, both of my books are on there. Try and think of, uh, oh, Gary Hart will cut a bitch. Uh, <laughs> that may be my next one. I don't know. Uh, but um, I popped when I read it. Like I said, when I saw you, he was going to put that one up there. And I was at a restaurant and I said, huh, Gary Hart cut a bitch. And the person I was with looked at me like, you realize you just yelled the cuss word out right in the middle of a restaurant. And I like, I got excited, you know. But um, <laughs> anyway, I think you got Son of a Plumber, American Dream, Dusty Rhodes on there. And it's nice T-shirts, nice merch. And um, I'm slow. Um, I'm working on a blog for a couple different things and some writing. And actually, I've got a uh, updated version of uh, Word yesterday and actually did today's notes on Word. I haven't been on Word for a while. I had the generic thing i was using on my computer but now i'm back on word so i'm hoping to uh to uh, start transferring a lot of my notes and things from my handwritten notes over to uh, word and start sharing that with uh, jeremy so he can so the good professor can get it up on our website man yeah that'd be that would be handy i need to i need to sit down and do some writing too probably but yeah you yeah. know it's been a been a little trickier lately you know yeah just like man it's like life is just <laughs> what's that ferris bueller if you don't if you just pass you i mean something just goes by so fast or something life will pass you by or something just click you know it really does and it seems like just the last little bit last two months it's had flown by for me yeah zip, zip. where'd they go where'd they go it's these fall last, already <laughs> yeah these last two years have just disappeared on me yeah, well, I wasn't going to go to great detail, but yeah, it's actually been about two years for me as well. It's just been kind of like, I think it's the world stopped, you know, for a while, and then it started spinning again. And when it started spinning this second time, it seemed like it's uh, not that it literally stopped. I'm just saying it fucking stopped and then kick-started and picked up fucking momentum. I don't know if we're going around uh, 365. We may be down about 345 now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Zip, zip, zip. That's what it feels like, man. We're just we're, we're moving. Uh, I can almost yeah. feel us moving. Yeah, oh, but yeah. uh, no, Absolutely. all kidding aside, man. Um, I know you got to get a spot here, so drop us a spot, and we'll get started with our uh, uh, special on uh, Bruiser Bedlam. All right, so there's our little anchor spot there, and uh, let's get on to the meat and potatoes of the show, and I'm sure this guy yeah. probably ate his share of meat and potatoes. Johnny K-9. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bruiser Bedlam, Johnny K-9. I'll let Jeremy tell his real name uh, whenever he decides to drop it in. I had it towards the end of the, um, end of the, uh, the notes here. But uh, every everyone pretty much knew him as Johnny K-9 when he worked back in uh, 85, 86, 87 uh, with the WWF slash ETV uh, putting people over. Um, real big guy. At first, he was just about two... Excuse me, 220, 
ball-headed, had a you know unique look to him. And then um, as he just kept lifting more and more weights and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and got meaner and meaner and meaner, you know, um, reason we're doing it because if you watch this week's doing this on Johnny K9, I knew him as Bruiser Bedlam. Um, because this week on the dark side of the ring, it was bikers, bombs, and Bedlam, the Johnny K-9 story. Um, he was a member of Satan's Choice um, Biker Gang. He was accused of uh, blowing up a police station as well as being caught up in a double murder homicide. So uh, we're just going to kind of talk about him a little bit here. The notes may go a little bit here and there and everywhere, but I got a few stories I think you all appreciate about um, Bruiser and um couple times I hung out with them. And uh, the first time I met him, I'm just going to share his very first story before I even look at any more notes so I can get this one out of the way. Uh, he come in to do TV for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Cornette had met him up in, I think, at a show up in uh, Detroit because I ended up going up. I'll tell you about that later. And um, thought he could do something with the guy. And, of course, Corny, being as creative as he did, came up with the, you know, tough-looking dock worker, money collector, whatever, bruiser bedlam. Um, and he came in, and it, it wasn't too uh, warm out. It wasn't summertime. And he drove in in a Jeep with the top down uh, and had on flip-flops and fucking tank top. And it, it didn't stop there. I don't know if it was fall or winter, but every time I saw him after that, he's still riding around that damn Jeep. With flip-flops and a tank top one, no matter how cold it got, even if it's snowing, he was out riding that damn wow. thing. That's just what he was, man. And so uh, I met him in the back, um, and this was the first time I met him. And he was, we were going to do a TV taping, and I was going to be his first TV match. And so... Um, Anyway, he's standing there as Ricky and Robert, myself, and I told this on James' uh, shoot interviews just a few weeks ago when he brought up several names, and this was the one share, this one story I shared about uh, Bruiser, and so he wanted to do this thing where he could catch me off the top rope, um, and into a, uh, I think, to a power bomb, uh, and then he was going to give me the old geezer to the goozer to the gut and uh, put the claw on me, the old, uh, you know. Not the Von Eric claw on the head, the but on the, on the clutch, the belly claw, yes. So we're standing there, and Ricky and Robert, I, he had a good demeanor. He, just, he was happy as hell to be there, man. Of course, I'd been there several years at this time, but, you know, two or three years, whatever it was, and um, uh, said, you know, well, you know, what what do you want to do? Yeah, I know you're going over and this and that. He goes, I'm just wondering if I can pick you up um, like this and how much – how much I have to lift you up for a power bomb. So I'm staying, he's in the middle with Ricky and Robert on each side. And I'm like, well, I don't know, just maybe just kind of pick me up here, man. And like I said, the mood's real relaxed. And, and Ricky and Robert, I had always teased around and goofed around anyway, uh, whether it be someone new or not, but I got, they, them guys have been together so long, you know, they, mm -hmm. they pull ribs and this and that. And I've seen them do it and kind of been a part of one here or there. Well, anyway, Bruiser, I bend over like I'm going to get a backdrop, and we're in the arena, and it's got a concrete floor, and he picks me up, and as he does, I crunch up so he can do like kind of a powerbomb position, so I'm up with basically my nuts up in his face, you know, and um, he says, now what I'd like to do is, and he, he, he swung me back down as he did, and as, as you said, king of the mullets here, my hair brushed the, the concrete floor, and I just reached down, and I went, like that and hit this floor when he brought me down and as soon as i did i said god damn it bruiser damn you you fucking drop you're on my head well 
as I did, man, he immediately let go of my, you know, waist so I could, you know, go down to my knees. And uh, he's like, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I'd already kind of iggied Robert on the foot with my hand. I just got him like a little, grabbed a shoe and did it, you know, let him know I'm good. Ricky looked at me and I made eye contact. So they were both in on it now. And they said, oh, God, you hurt Bobby. No one hurts Bobby, man. And he was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm so, <laughs> I'm like, man, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? I said, it's a fucking work. But I, I felt the demeanor, man. You got this big, bald-headed guy that has this big cut of hair just curled up in it and this mustache and he's standing there no shirt on big tattoo true to the crew that he had gotten um apparently with the gang he ran around with he had gotten that uh first i thought he told me he got it in prison but he may have got it after he got out of prison but either way um it's one of those things where um if you told someone you were going to wear that tattoo and several of them got it six or seven of the guys i guess in his gang uh they got him, and you know, of course, that's permanent ink on there. It wasn't magic marker, right. but uh, man, we all had a big laugh about it, and that eased the tension of everything. Uh, but I'll say this in the match, we had a nice little put together match. Cornette was going to manage him. Uh, we got to the ring, and uh, to this day, I couldn't tell you if he said duck or not, but um, <laughs> we were wrestling, I was wrestling around him, you know, just. No, doing my baby face shit so the big guy couldn't catch me. And way finally caught me. And, um, man, he glommed me right in the jaw. It about broke my jaw. He just swung back and hit me. And I went straight down like a wet noodle, man. And as I was crawling from one turnbuckle to the other, like shaking my jaw, because I was trying to get to the finish at that point. And uh, he goes, didn't you hear me say duck? (laughs) buddy i hear shit <laughs> you know i'm just trying to get over here to the rope and so anyway uh he picks me up uh, puts me there i do the jump whatever Cornette's looking on like you know what the what what are you doing all this for it's just gonna be he's grabbing you in the gut you know anyway i jump off the top rope he catches me does the deal i go down and of course he submits me with the the claw to the stomach there and um I was like, man, my so that was one of the few nights you've heard of the infamous uh, flop house in Morristown, Tennessee. I wasn't a regular guest there, but I stayed there several times. And on that particular night, I stayed there. And um, Bruiser and I, we I followed him, and we stopped and got some food, and we hung out in the front room because that's where he was sleeping at the time. I, I was just over on the floor, he was on the floor, and. Um, I didn't want to get a hotel that night. We hung out talking and he, I can't tell you how many times he apologized to me for hitting me, but I, but every time he did, he kept saying, I did say duck. And I said, man, I am not disputing it, man. It's all good. You know, you didn't kill me. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't hear him say it, but, uh, he, he was a sweetheart of a guy to hang around with. Uh, and I know I'm talking about a, uh, potential double murder suspect here, just saying um it's just one of those funny things where he just really wanted to get off the boys and stuff and that's kind of my first introduction to him and uh, we're going to share some more stuff and i'm going to kind of i'll go back to a couple more stories i've got to share with you jeremy that that took place but let's go on to some facts here uh about um some of the stuff that came up with this dark side of the ring uh, you want to lead us off these particular notes that we've got here in uh, any order? Yeah, so so I kind of crowded my notes here. So, Bobby, feel free to stop me at any point. Yeah. I yeah. did not. Okay, so because you worked with this guy, I did not do, I did not watch the episode. I did very quick research on him because I kind of wanted you to guide through, guide me through this episode. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm just going to kind of start hitting some beats about his career. You feel free to steer me in another direction as we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he was discovered, uh, working as a bouncer at a bar in Canada. Um, but I guess like at this point in his life, he was already starting to get into uh, weightlifting and lifting heavier weights, but he debuted at stampede wrestling. He uh, had did several independent promotions up there, like Grand Prix and the Maritimes and Superstars mm-hmm. what, Wrestling. He did briefly get a win down in uh, Tennessee over Lawler for the AWA Southern title. Um, let's see. Canadian journalist Adrian Humphreys called him hugely entertaining and a dirty fighter whose antics made him a natural heel. Why? Why is a journalist throwing that word around? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, he was an entertaining guy. He liked to be um, in the back, especially. He loved to get over to the boys, and when uh, when you watch this dark side, apparently he liked to, uh, you know, impress the other bikers as well. Um, made an instant impact, you know, uh, when he started getting into that kind of a lifestyle. And yeah, he um, he was a, a very accomplished weightlifter as well. Uh, just to go back a little bit, he. When we talk about him doing the, the, the TVs for WWE back in the late 80s, at, uh, sometime around 89, 90s, he started getting really, really, really big. Um, just a big, big barrel test of a guy. He bench pressed, um, I think it was at the time, I know it was at the time because it was in Wrestle, uh, I mean, shoot, Muscle Mag International. I think he done like th- 635 pounds or 665 pounds. I know that's a difference between 30 pounds there, but at that time, whatever it was, 635, it was a Canadian bench press record. And man, he um, he just had, like I said, he had big old barrel chest and cannonball shoulders and uh, the bulging biceps. And uh, man, he, he um, tell you what he did for me. Uh, just kind of because this goes right along. Here's one of those stories there. Uh, you know, like I said, accomplished weightlifter. For in fact, that he he told me he was in on a gym or owned a gym, but he may have just had a gym. Once you watch this uh, dark side, he may have just had a gym that he'd go and collect some money from every every week or two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He might be protecting a gym. Uh, either way, he mentioned a gym up there. And anyway, uh, the first story I'll share with you is. Um, they were coming out. We were coming to Ashton. Spokey Mountain was going to be an Ashton. And Cornet was going to manage him. And I asked him. I said, "Bruiser, I said, man, um, I go to this YMCA. How much would you charge me to come in and do a bench press exhibition? Because I'd seen him in a gym in Morristown, which I'll tell you another another story about that in just a few minutes or whatever. And um, I see, you know, he said, well, how far? I said, well, it's about four hours from Knoxville, you know, <clears throat> four and a half, five from Morristown where you're asking. But I think we're coming out of Knoxville for that night. Um, you know, he goes, well, I don't know, man. He goes, uh, you know what I'd really want? And I said, what's he goes, I'd like to have a home cooked meal. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I just, he goes, I've been down here for a couple of weeks and I haven't got to go home. I'd like a, I, well, at the time I was married, and my ex, she was a pretty damn good cook. I'm not going to lie about it. Well, her best dish was spaghetti. And I told him, I said, man, I said, that's, if that's all you want, I, I said, you like spaghetti? He said, yeah. I said, let my wife just make you, you know, a big spaghetti meal. So he um, he agreed upon it, man. And he come to Ashland to the YMCA. I had a friend out there uh, with tickets. So 
they did an exhibition. It was free, of course. And Bruiser come in and uh, just demonstrate those benches over there weren't made for powerlifting. They were just made for general public off the street lifting weights, you know. So he couldn't rack them, put too much rack weight on the rack there. But he loaded up 500 pounds and, you know, done a couple reps with it, which is pretty damn impressive, you know. And he'd done it more than once. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd done it and waited a little bit longer and talked to some more people. And the uh, entire time, my friend was there holding tickets at, uh, you know, like $10 a pop or whatever. We sold 15 tickets, man. That's pretty cool, you know. And, um, of course, I slid him a couple dollars there, duked him some, even though he didn't, you know, that wasn't his agreement. But we did sell some tickets to add to our show. We we were drawing really good here. Now it wasn't selling out or hanging from the rafter crowds, but it's good crowds. And also it's good that, you know, here's this hill coming to town. Uh, they didn't have Smoky Mountain TV here. So they didn't know who the hell good guys, bad guys was. They knew I was a baby face from, from here. And the way he was around people would naturally, entertaining he had that weight room you know telling a few jokes and this over warming up and uh, done a little exhibition and then that the arena uh, the, the armory that night um you know I, I brought him in man a big nice t- double serving of meat you know spin, uh, meat um spaghetti big side salad garlic bread you know and uh, i brought him a couple two liters down there and he had his meal, man. He was completely oh, happy with go. that. And yeah. uh, just uh, really a good time. And the people at the I talked about, and I got back there on that Monday or Tuesday morning, whenever we got to, I like a Saturday night town. And I still do like a Sunday show. It was like, um, man, did you see that big guy? Did you see that big guy in here? God, he lifted that 500 pounds more than once. He did it a couple of times. He waited about 15 minutes. Some more people come. He did it again. And they just couldn't believe it, you know. And I said, well, that's light for him. He's a 600-pound bencher, you know. I said, them, them benches, that's what he told me. So I don't think them benches would have held 600. And I said, no, they're not powerlifting benches. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, keep on going there uh, through his career. Um, name for Dick the Bruiser is what you come up with. Uh, uh, yeah, so Jim Cornette, I did, the bruiser I, did, part. I did find a quote in there that Jim Cornette thought the name yeah. of Johnny Canine sucked. And he was, a, yep. you know, and, and, you know, Cornette will admit he was a big uh, Dick the Bruiser fan. So he's like, you know, this guy looks like a bruiser. Let's name him Bruiser Bedlam. Yeah. Um, and then I, I thought this was kind of interesting, too, is that Cornette's been asked a few times about whether he knew ab- about be- uh, Bruiser's more seedy activities. And he yeah. basically said, well, I knew he had something to do with it, but I don't I didn't think it was anything, you know, like severe. And uh, I believe in, in the actual quote, he even says he doesn't even believe the murder charges that would later come against him. Yeah, that's why um, this story gets wild. It does get wild. Um, on the show, they interviewed his ex, his wife, um, ex-wife, I guess, uh, Tracy Edwards. They had married in 1993. She was an exotic dancer, stripper, whatever, however she said it on there. And she said she noticed him coming to the club and she was just like, gaga, you know, she's I saw this guy and she's just automatically kind of like, that's my guy, you know, Um and it happened. It just so happens it's her guy that as the story unfolds, uh, I, somewhere they get a divorce because he goes away for a little jail time. They remarry again, which I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, um, yeah, 
I thought he was into some stuff too. I wasn't sure. I thought maybe it's just maybe some weed and some steroids or something like that. Like I said, when he mentioned the gym, I was thinking, okay, a gym's just a good cover. Uh, again, coming back with maybe he, you know, had a part of a gym, you know, um, and maybe that's a place where, you know, he did some side businesses, you know, um, beside, but on the, um, so on the dark side there, he, um, uh, is accused of blowing up a police station. Okay. So that was like the, yeah. So that's where, um, as Tracy said on the show, he fucked up. He knew he fucked up. And that, that was kind of her words on the program. But basically, um, it was it, the police station bombing. Now, I'm not trying to fit anyone, not trying to, I'm not a lawyer, not trying to prove anyone guilty or innocent of charges. But basically, uh, he was told uh, uh, it was going to be a strip club. That's what the bomb was being made for. And him and another guy, apparently, um, they sincerely thought, not that you can go around blowing up uh, strip clubs, guys. Just saying, apparently, you know, there's more severity to blowing up a police station than there is to a strip club. But but under the pretense that that's where they were going to put the bomb off at. Um, so I guess in... Uh, the 2000, he, he got a um, sentence of 33 months, but he got out in two years. Um, of course, he'll eventually go back, but he got out after two years of that because uh, I don't guess that that stuck because a couple other people, I guess, took the rap for the uh the police station bombing uh, because he was, like I said, it's him and another guy. They pretty much did not know. They knew it was a bomb. They didn't know he was going to be you know, let, let off or blown up at a damn police station. Right. So there's some technicalities there, if you will. Um, and so anyway, that's just kind of what kind of crazy person you, <laughs> like I said, if you know this guy in the back, Jeremy, I mean, just a good hearted, big hearted, big laughable, you know, had to be the, uh, he he didn't care. He, he he didn't care if the joke was on him or if he was telling a joke. He just jolly and and glad to be there. He was glad to be one of the boys. He loved the wrestling business. He just you know he's just glad to be one of the boys, man. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I think he did uh uh twenty. Let's see, what was that? So he had twenty four months of that, man. And in the meantime, the ex wife she goes out to uh, uh, British Columbia. And when he gets out of jail, he follows her out there, and they remarry, as I mentioned. So uh, once again, she says he had told her all these different things on the phone, I guess. And um, she was like, well, I'm trying to better myself and, you know, uh, do things the right way. Um, so as soon as he gets off the plane, she's like, I knew right then, you know, and she does her guy and so they went and got married again you know and and again when you watch the episode you can see it you know because you can see her reaction this tell like she's she's in love with this guy psycho biker wrestler drug dealer whatever you know that's that's her guy man everybody's so you got have to type, admire that you know? everybody's, got <laughs> yeah. a type. everybody's got a type like i was talking about earlier man that's that's what's happened but uh anyway so go on from there after uh Cornette thought um uh thought it wasn't I'm not so sure either how that, you know, whole deal went down on the bombing. Yeah. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Once you watch the program, you'll see. Um, and I guess that was done when he was in Satan's Choice uh, Biker Club. And when he got to the West Coast, she said that, you know, they're going to start new, um, start fresh, 
and he was going to uh, try some acting. She said, why not give that a try? And I guess uh, guess it wasn't real good at it, um, according to her. Um, I, it showed a movie clip of him throwing some people around. Uh, I don't know how much, how much, if any, movies he did that made it, you know, as far as maybe his background actor or something. But anyway, he was doing good, supposedly. And it's around 2006 or so. Uh, apparently he ran into a hell's angel and to another gang member from the UN gang. And, um, she started, she said he tried to hide it from her for a while, but he was starting to get back into that. Cause they had remarried at this point and he was trying to, um, you know, trying to get shit together, Yeah, but he was back into the old biker gang thing. And next thing you know, and you could turn your head all you want, and you can uh, try to hide this from the other person all you want. But um, when you start moving about twenty or thirty grand a week, a week, <laughs> you're making some serious money, you know. And so he was uh, affiliated with that UN gang, I guess. At that point, um, I don't know if he was becoming a disciple of them or if they was, you know. Uh, be transferred in or if you're still a part of Satan's choice. I think the UN must have had several uh, affiliate gangs and maybe the Satan choice one of them. And so he was kind of, you know, godfathered in whatever that's called there, you know, uh, brothered in or whatever. But um, during that time, um, you know, he got a little bit more trouble. There was um, first degree murder charges were brought up. And let's see. Basically, he did four years for that, um, and he was sent to a halfway house in Toronto. Now, here's what I don't understand, and you'll have to watch the program and the fans. If you want to smarten this up, you can. You you kill two people or your two gangs are involved and some innocent victims are involved. Um, he only done four years of it. Now, I'm not sure how he got out of that of only doing four years because it was he guilty or not guilty. You can draw your own conclusions because at the end, the um, the uh, lead detective who's now retired said, you know, that double murder case is still open. So well, that's kind of I believe that's kind of where it was at on that. I believe he actually pled down, pled guilty to a conspiracy charge to plead okay. down on the murder. Uh, gotcha. If if I am remembering what I saw correctly, um. So, you know, they, they got him and they put him away on the conspiracy. They probably had a weak murder case, so they were happy to have yeah. him, you know, have him roll yeah. like that. Um, you know, Bobby, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I had a second cousin who was a biker, like serious outlaw, fucking one percenter biker. And there was a murder here in town that he knew or was involved in or something. And he disappeared for 10 years. Turned out the uh, guys in his own gang killed him and buried him in a field not far from his parents' house. Ugh. So I'm not I'm not a real sympathetic to the bikers kind of guy. Um, you know, yeah. I, just, I just try to avoid them personally. Yeah. Uh, well. But you know, here's the thing, man. You get into this shit where you're slinging and you're mm-hmm. making money. I mean, I think you said in here somewhere that he was moving tens of thousands of dollars a week. That's what it said. Well, yep. I I can get into a habit of spending tens of thousands of dollars a week real easy. Yeah. And once you get a taste for it, you don't like to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, it's you remember the end of Goodfellas. He's like, fuck, man, I used to go to this restaurant and that restaurant. Now <laughs> yeah. I got boiled noodles with fucking ketchup on it. You That's know? right. Just yeah. the Joe Smuck, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Back to the, um, back to that life. But, um, yeah, so 
Yeah, that he he had that truth to the crew, man. He was he was you know he when you go in prison too, and you know um, I'll plug my book here real quickly. Just just kind of throw us out there, and I kicked out on two the educational wrestler. Uh, chapter five is called you know. Um, it's, it's about the big house, about being in prison. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a federal prison, and I know how, you know, everyone, there's strength in numbers, let's just say that. So everyone pretty much segregates themselves, you know. Yeah. And Bruiser, um, Johnny K-9, what have you, probably felt like, you know, um, yard time in the big house. I better hook up with some other guys for some protection in here, you know. And I think there was like six or seven of them, if I'm not mistaken, that did the whole truth to the crew, uh, according to um, to to uh, uh, the story. But uh, I put this here: ask a group of school children what they want to be when they grow up, and no one will say, "I want to be a screw." And look after other tattooed psychopaths in a cold, damp prison. Uh And that's from Mark Chopper Reed, you know, a notorious Australian prisoner um, and uh, and famous author. Once he, you know, spent half his life in prison before he passed away. Uh, But still... um, you know, I had to quote boss some of these guys when I was in there, and you you, you see these. That's what you're. You know, you're a boss. You're a screw. You're a hack. You know, um, but the inmates, you know, they run the fucking asylum anyway. So Bruiser probably, you know, found him those six guys that hung out together. that's going to be true to each other and knew each other probably from the streets. You know, doing their doing their whole thing or whatever. Yeah. But um, but real quickly, if you want to get that book, I kicked out on two the educational wrestler. Just go to tinyrl.com slash blazebook2. That's available on Amazon. And that's my second book that I wrote, Thus Blazebook 2. My first book called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostful Travel. Just go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. And I did them reverse order because I was reading out of the I kicked out on two and first. But again, Blazebook 1 is Pin Me, Pay Me. Blazebook 2 is I kicked out on two. And as I said, the professor set up the really neat little tinyurls.com slash Blazebook one, tinyurl.com slash blazebook two. So there's a little book plug for us, Jeremy. And I wanted to tell another story mm-hmm. real quickly about Bruiser. Um, I was talking about staying at the flop house down in Morristown, Tennessee. Uh, I'm not sure if it was that time or another time I happened to be in the area, but I was in Morristown and had a gym down there. Um, as most you know, wrestlers find it. They'll find a gym somewhere. And they had a gym. It was more of a health center type situation, too, not known for powerlifting or whatever is where he was working out at. So we got up one day. We, you know, uh, I think that night, actually, I might stay down the road in a hotel or whatever. But we met at the gym. And, you know, you go to the gym and, uh, there's this young guy, young twenties working the towel counter, you know, and has the uh, smoothie shakes and the uh, protein bars and, you know, checks your membership and, you know, kind of let you in or don't let you in, you know, yeah. uh, it's kind of dead on a Saturday morning, uh, about, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock we roll in there. It's me and Bruiser, a couple other guys, uh, a couple guys that stayed there at the flop house and we're going to do chess together. Cause I always wanted to get, Bigger, you know, stronger. And uh, at the time, I knew I could do about 315, about on a good day, four, five, or six times. You know, on a bad day, I knew I could get it once or twice. So I knew about what my my weight was going to be around 300 pounds, you know, if he decided to go heavy that day. And um, if not, I, I could do the two, 225 and do reps or whatever, you know. So yeah. I felt comfortable uh, working out with him because, you know, 
going to do some chest and arms. And he said, well, I always do chest heavy on bench press only. Everything else, Bobby, will be real light. I'm like, okay, good deal. Glad to, glad to have a workout partner on the road, you know. And uh, we went in there, and uh, he gets he is at 135, 225. He just clicks it off like, you know, like I'm doing 10 or 15 pounds or something, you know. Uh, but he finally loads the bar up. He puts like 405 on there. And that's like four big plates on each side. So you got the big 45-pound bar, four on each side, and that equals 405. And he goes, watch this. And, you know, he's loud anyway. He's getting off site. He had hit himself in the head. You know, get you know, you just get jacked up to pump weights. There's that kind of mentality, you know. And <laughs> uh, he said, don't spot me. And I'm like, what? Like, I should be behind him spotting him, you know. And he goes, don't spot me. So I st- I go, where where you mistake? Stand where I can't see to step out of my eyesight, even peripherals, you know. So I, I I step back a little bit to where I mean I'm still there by the bench, but I'm not where you know I'm gonna mess his bench up. He grabs the bar, pulls it out, and brings it to his chest and starts going, Oh, oh god, and starts yelling. <laughs> what a young kid like I said, what's maybe between 21 and 25 years old? is working at a desk and he's like you know 20 25 feet away from the desk and bruce later 405 pounds on his chest he goes hey oh and he's selling it <laughs> now i know the guy could do 605 or 600 pounds worth but i'm not smart to what he's going to do because this this is the first time i'm around him they pulled this trick and so <laughs> the kid kind of running over there and this is just some probably you know college kid just you know got a little weekend gig at the gym he's got you know shoestring for fucking arms you know he, no tan pimple still you know what I'm saying he's, he's not a weightlifter he's just right. there to run the fucking health club you know he's just lucky to have a job you know? yes yeah. and he he reaches down like he's going to fucking help spot the 405 and pull it off his chest but as soon as he reaches down Bedlam just boom 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 reps out like four or five reps with the 405 racks and goes, get out of here. Get the fuck away from me. Don't ever touch me when I'm lifting weights. And he just starts proud being scared to shit. I'm getting hell scared to shit out of me. But I was laughing so loud, you know, and hard. It was hurting my eyes rolling on my stomach. Like, oh, God, quit. Well, this guy, you know, he's sitting on a big puppy dog. eyes, about ready to fucking cry. He don't know what shit go blind. Wind his watch or wind his watch shit and go blind. <laughs> and Bruiser just ribbed the fuck out of him. And he, and he stops. He goes right from being get the fuck away from me don't touch the weight you know whatever he went from that to hey man go over there and get your smoothie have it on me i'll pay you on the way out you know it's all good thanks for having a fun time you know thanks for making us laugh we had, we needed a good laugh and went right back to his routine and on the way out he he went over and bought the kid up you know uh milkshake smoothie or whatever they did the protein shakes you know bought the kid a milkshake because so i see you around kid you know whatever it's just one of those things you have to be around someone that damn crazy you know to to pull that kind of stunt but that's, that's the kind of stuff you, you know i see him do um in the gym and stuff like that. But um, anyway, let's just kind of, I got a big plug here at the end. I want to fill in there. I know we're going to, I guess once he got released to a halfway house um, back in Toronto, um, I've heard different versions of this, um, that he was having difficulty breathing and had been calling his wife out and she was still in British Columbia. Uh, Some sleeping problems. I don't know what was going on. Um, They said it could have been a diet of natural causes 
or it could have been a hot shot. And that kind of, uh, they kind of left it at that, Jeremy, on the program. Um, that was in February of 2017. At the age of 53, he passed away. Um, I'm going to come back with the headline. I'm going to mention Bruiser Bedlam. Um, his real name was, I'll let you say the last name. It was Ian William. <laughs> Croitoro. Croitoru. Okay. I had Tutoria. So it's Ian William Tutoria, February uh, 2017. He passed away at the age of 23. Now, the headlines in the newspapers read, Johnny K-9 is dead. And... Um, he would have loved that. According to the detective and several people on the show there, a couple there was a journalist, just so you know, there was a journalist on the show. You questioned him using the word heel up there in that one sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said that, um, oh, Johnny would have loved that because um, uh, they was talking, compared him, uh, not necessarily to Al Capone, but a criminal element. That was their go-to, you know, uh, that kind of thing. The description that he was kind of a folk hero to everyone up there. Um as far as what the way he perceived himself, you know, and the way the headline, he would love that because it's kind of folk hero, heroish that, um, that, uh, he got his name in a paper, you know, Johnny K nine is dead. Like a, you know, Al Capone is dead, you know, yeah. uh, whatever. But, um, anyway, it just kind of, it was, it was a good episode. Um, it showed some WWE footage. It showed some indie footage. Um, I actually, he got me booked up in, speaking of indies, I went to um, Detroit and wrestled him up there. Gary Warnacek, I think, was, I, I say that name wrong. He was a friend of Cornette's, and he'd bring the talent in sometimes. He booked the bodies with Jimmy, and he booked, um, I think, Al Snow went up there a couple times. Al may have already been working for him some anyway, but uh, Bruiser got me up there. When a couple of days, you know, got me a good payoff, come in on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday when I was off on a Smoky Mountain deal. I don't even know if he was um, still a Smoky at that time. I, I'm, I think he was for a few more months, but nonetheless, we had a weekend off and, or I did and he did. And, uh, I can't, maybe, I can't, what Smoky, I, I honestly can't remember why I'd have those days off at that time, but I did. And I went up there and worked for him and Corny would give you, he'd work it with you too. So maybe that's what it was. I don't recall what it was because that's his friend Gary. Um, and we went to Detroit and I wrestled a couple places up there with them um, and got a good payoff and, you know, hung out and ate with them and this and that. And, uh, you know, went to the gym with them. It, it's pretty cool that, you know, God do that for you. Cause I had went up there for Sabu, me and Candido, they flew us up for that. And, uh, Rhino and, you know, just a really bunch of young, talented guys that I got to do a show with up in that area. And then, um, uh, Bruiser did the same thing for me. He, he hooked me up this promoter and, you know, got me a good two or three little gig up there and, you know, made a few bucks and, um, you know, Got to hang out and stuff, so that's pretty cool. Uh, little did I know, though, that uh, you know I was probably hanging around the criminal element um, and having you know pretty good judge of character. Um, you're in the back with someone, um, you know, talking, hanging out. Like I said, even sleeping in the same room and you know uh, being in a gym together and eating together and thing. Uh, you know, you sense there's something a little bit off about this guy that you know, hey, he just. Uh, He's got his own shit going on, you know what I'm saying? But you know what? I don't want to know about his own shit, you know? I don't. Yeah. You, you, it's not something you just ask about, you know? It's like, hey, by the way, Bruiser, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, could you do me a favor? No, ever, it wasn't ever, that. It was yeah. just. Uh, you ever killed anybody before, Johnny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you just, you know, one of them things, you're just like, uh, 
just kind of, you feel them out and you're like, ah, this is probably off limits. We're just going to talk about wrestling and weights and women, you know. Um, he, in fact, he asked me a couple times to go to strip club. I'm like, nah, that, that really, I never was at, well, I shouldn't say it wasn't. I've been to my share of strip clubs. During that time, I wasn't going to strip clubs. That just wasn't. Several years in a row, that just wasn't my thing because I was trying to make money, you know. And I'm like, they're working you, man. I'm, I'm not been worked. I don't need to be worked anymore. I'm, I'm working to make my money, you know. And I'm not, I'm not Johnny Innocent here. I'm just saying during that time. But uh, I know he went to a few of them in Knoxville. I had been to a few there too. I'm just, but the couple of times he asked, I was like, nah, I'm not really interested in going out tonight, you know. Um, and I wasn't. Um, but yeah, to me, he was always a good dude. Um, you know, it's kind of like what Cornette said. He had a hard time believing uh, some of that. I, hell, the facts are the facts, man. Um, and that's that. You got anything else to wrap up with on 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 Bruiser Bedlam before we no, move on? But you know, um, I, he sounds like an interesting character, and uh, kind of sounds like one of those guys like you maybe wouldn't want to bump into. And he sounds like he had two completely different personalities. Sounds like there was. Yes. Gangster. Double life, man. Yeah, there was gangster Bruiser Bedlam, or Johnny K9, and then there was fun guy to you know hang out at a <laughs> wrestling show and go to the gym with Johnny. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's what it was. Like dual personality, maybe two different lives, or uh, two different lifestyles. Um but yeah, anyway, yeah, it was this week's dark side, uh bikers. Bombs and Bedlam, the Johnny Canine story. Um, that's just the way I interpret it, and I'm shared a few stories with everyone. And uh, that's our podcast that we can, you know, put our uh, twist on things. Um, Jeremy, I got I got to get another plug here if you don't care. Go right ahead. Um, I know you got to drop a time warp commercial in later on. Uh, before you do that, I just want to remind people on November sixth. Bluegrass Wrestling Con is going to take place in Ashland, Kentucky at the Highlands Museum. Now, I've got a couple new people to add to this. You're going to have a lot of WWF superstars and up-and-coming local wrestlers. we got some people from the uh, uh, FTC camp. we got some people from Art of Grappling School going to be there. I think we got some students coming in from Chance Profits, um, Body Slam Academy coming in. Uh, in addition to... Listen to this lineup, man. I mean, you got The Godfather, um, Lex Luger, Billy Gunn, Coco Beware, myself, um, Stan, the man Hanson, and also Magnum TA. Now, those have all been confirmed. And one sponsor is bringing in Rhino. Um, that's pretty damn cool. Rhino's going to be there. I just got word this week, in addition to Gail Kim, we have another female going to be there, and that is WWEEE Diva Jillian Hall is going to be there. And I got to see Jillian a couple of times this week at the training academy as well as in the gym. Uh, she was tearing through some cardio, and let me tell you, she can still go, and um, I'm sure that the, the uh, Bluegrass Wrestling Con is glad that Jillian has, uh, Jillian Hall has been cited, has decided to come and take part in that because they were trying hard to get her to be a part of it as, you know, she's one of the biggest female stars in this area uh, from, from TV, you know, and 
Uh, Jeremy, I think you're going to like this. Now, we're doing a lot. Well, let me say, we're going to do a remote from there. I'm going to be sending people over, talking to them, and putting them on the air to Jeremy so the professor can interview them. So mm-hmm. I can hopefully get five or ten minute clips for our, our program during that time that, uh, oh, hey, you know, guess who's here? And you're going to say, who, Bobby? I've seen the list. And I'm going to surprise you because i got someone I didn't mention last week. I just added Jillian. Guess who I might hand a microphone to? Um, Tony Gurria. You're dropping out on me. I think you dropped out on me. Oh, well, I'll drop right back in and tell you. Hey, Professor, guess what? Here is Jimmy, the mouth of the South Heart. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be I real cool. Say, yeah. He has agreed to be there. He's he confi- uh, confirmed this week again. The ones I'm mentioning, there was a uh, 25 vendor tables. Uh, they've all been sold out. So different people would be bringing in people. These are the ones that I'm I'm allowed to mention because they have been signed to a contract. Uh, Earl and Joe Earl from the Time Warp and Joe from FTC Wrestling. Uh, these are all confirmed people that are booked for that show. Again, it's Bluegrass Wrestling Con, November 6th. Takes place from noon until 6 p.m. at the Highlands Museum right in downtown Ashland on Winchester Avenue. It's right in the center of town, man. Um, You you can't miss it. Um, I hope a lot of people come out for it. Tickets are only $25 to get in. And, man, it's going to be an all-day event. It's going to be a super good event. Um... The uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and I appreciate the time warp, and I appreciate FTC sponsoring us, not just for the wrestling uh, community, but also for the economic growth of the you know downtown Ashland and, and getting people, you know, out and about and bringing some commerce to our fine city here in Eastern Kentucky, Jeremy. Yeah, well, so uh, thank you. You know, it's good to have a local business that will grease the big greasy commerce wheel of your local community. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's very important. You know, Bobby, I'm going to, because I don't have a great segue, let's just go ahead and we're going to do the time warp again right now. Video gamers, sports fans, and nostalgia enthusiasts, are you ready for a time warp? Time warp is a brick and mortar hobby shop with a huge selection of everything sports, gaming, and collectibles in downtown Ashland and two locations in the Ashland Town Center. They've got vintage toys, sports cards, and collectibles, tons of wrestling merch. It's the largest selection of memorabilia in the tri-state. Time Warp also has an extensive inventory of vintage and current video games and consoles. It's a 100% must-visit for retro gamers. Time Warp buys your collectibles daily and are open 7 days a week, 363 days a year. Only closed on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Check out their Facebook page at Time Warp Ashland. But, um, Bobby, so let's say, like, you're in the mood for a new video game, some wrestling, wrestling memorabilia, and something from Star Trek. Where would you go? Oh, I'd go to the Time Warp, man. And they got cards, um, baseball, football, wrestling cards. Uh, they've got posters. And, man, I can't begin to tell you all the stuff they have down there. It, it's incredible. Um, you know, they got on on 16th Street, right not too far from the uh, Howley Museum. They've got the uh, original brick-and-mortar Time Warp. That's the original store right downtown Ashland. 
down at the Ashland Town Center. They had a uh, two locations in the town center. They got a little kiosk out there that um, has just a bunch of memorabilia, as much as you can get to a little kiosk. And they'll also direct you to the main store, which is right down the center of the mall. Uh, and, man, they've got everything. I'm, dude, they got Star Wars, Star Trek, um, you know, they've got it all, Jeremy. They've got costume stuff, uh Original, they got tons of autograph stuff from famous people. Uh, you can hell, you can pick up an autograph Bobby Blaze book there if you want to, you know. But uh, no, they've got stuff for you know collectibles and uh, it's for any gamer too. If you're you know if you like old time vintage games, they've got all those. Uh, man, I you know I don't even know what I got. It's just it's too much for me to tell you because I, I they got it. You would the inner geek and in you oh, would shit. be down there going like, man, Bobby, I can't believe you you can't recall this stuff, and because it's too much, they've got a little bit of everything, man. They really, really do. Um, no, that's so I mean, I, that's right up my alley. Like I've said before, I used to have a used video game store at one point. Um, you know, we started dabbling in Star Trek stuff and this, that, and the other at the same time. So it's absolutely right up my alley. So again, yeah. on, on the eventual Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze uh, world tour, that will also be uh, one of the stops along the way. It won't be much fun yeah. for you, but it will be for me. No, no, it will be. Cause they got video games. It, you know, it, it, man, it's just the, it's the best largest selection of memorabilia in this tri-state area, man. That's, that's all there is to it. Um, it's got if you're a retro gamer go to it if you like new stuff go to it um as i said in the commercial man do ain't close two days a year and that's uh, uh thanksgiving and christmas so you know you got another 363 days when you can come to ashland jeremy and uh bring your entourage um that you can go down there and visit man I, I i know earl would love to have you to be a guest at our city you know and uh come and visit his store so yeah um Come on out here, man. Head east, boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if everybody's so, taking the times off that I want to go do that, they would, you know, yeah. we'd be on it already. But yeah, yeah. Um, all right, man. We need to wrap things up once again. Um, dedicate this show to Nate. Uh, rest in peace or rest in power, Nate. Uh, you will be missed, man. Um, and um, anyway, Jeremy, I don't have much more to say other than. Uh, it's always good to hear your voice, be back on the air here, and um, people get out there and try to live the best life you can live and take care of yourself, man. Um, you know, do the best you can, and hopefully that's better than a cold boot in the ass, you know? Yeah, and better than a poke in the eye of the sharp stick and all of that as well. <laughs> well, everybody, um, let's see here for the irreplaceable Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. And Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B Bobby Blaze. Bye-bye, everybody.